This is Bibliophile, the terrible book exchange podcast wherein a wife and her husband get each other the worst books they can find. For this episode of Bibliophile, Nick read Master of Dragons by Angela Knight, and I read The Achilliad by S.P. Somto. Welcome to Bibliovile. This is the Terrible Book Exchange Podcast. I am your host, Mick Dickinson. And I'm your co-host, Susan Dickinson. And we are here to take you into the dark recesses of literature with the worst books we found at uh, Amazon. Yeah, this was another one of those fun ones where we did deep dives into the internet. Where there are worse books than there are at the library. Yeah, always. It's always worse on the internet. And that's what's going on my gravestone. Yeah. It's always worse on the internet. 1992 to 2018, Mick Dickinson. Oh, I don't like that at all. Yeah, well, at least I, I lived while I lived, Sue. I lived as much as I could, and I got to see genuine wrestle boys. Them wrestle boys. Slapping that meat together. Sue was nice mm. enough to take me to a semi-professional. What do you call a semi-professional? Because they make money for it. So they like, make like $10 per match. Gross. Yeah. That is not enough. No. So it's semi-professional. They took, Susan took me to a semi-professional wrestling match in outside of Iowa City, Iowa, uh, at a bar by the name of Something Something Saloon. It was the Wildwood Saloon. Wildwood Saloon. Which I would legit like to go back to just like as a bar because that definitely seems like my scene. I feel like there was line dancing. Yep, there is every Wednesday and Thursday apparently. I never thought I would say this, but I had a lot of fun at the country wrestle bar and would not like to go back for the country wrestling western bar. Because country wrestling, country western. That was a good joke, Mick. Thank you. But the wrestle boys were so good. Yeah, the wrestle boys. They were such good wrestle boys. Yeah. Um, I prom- and wrestle women. There were there were two. There was a match of wrestle women. Mm-hmm. That's right. I promised people that I would write up the thing where uh, my impressions of the event that I had a good time. But Biblioval uh, has killed my belief in the written word, so we're just gonna talk about it instead. That this was an absolutely amazing. Event. I loved it with my whole heart. It there's, was so good. There's absolutely no sarcasm. Now, note, there is a whole lot of tongue-in-cheek, but there's absolutely no sarcasm or detachment from this. But to be fair, I think the people that are doing the wrestling, the wrestle boys themselves, are a little bit tongue-in-cheek about oh, it. Oh, for sure. Yeah. They all are like... I mean, I can't help but think of the one guy during the, the four-person tag team match, which was amazing. Yeah. My favorite part of the show... Maybe second. Uh, who just... All wrestlers have two types. They're either just like baby-faced, open farmer good looks, or glowering Russian brows. Like, yeah. I feel like those are the only two types of wrestlers. And the one who has... The one guy who had the most glowering brow uh, and the wettest hair. Yeah, The bad guy so from wet. the four-on-four. Uh, who kept scaring the... Okay, so... A guy in the wrestling company is married to one of your coworkers. Mm-hmm. Dating, but yes. Dating, I am sorry. Get married, because I want to come to this wedding. I feel like it'd be awesome. Uh, is dating one of your coworkers, and so this guy knows her, 
And so the villain of the match kept scaring her because it's like it's all in good fun. She's not going to be mad. He would just like come up to the railing. The dude had to be like six four. Yeah, he was huge. And when she wasn't paying attention, he would just come stand behind her and look down at her. And then she would turn around and jump. And it was very, very funny every time. Yeah, and so he's playing a character and he's glowering in Russian and all sorts of stuff. I mean, he didn't speak with a Russian accent, but he looks so Slavic. I can't even get around it. Uh, and then after the show, he came around and had his hair in a man bun poking out the back of his... his uh, and, like, gave her a hug. Yeah. And was like, hi, how are you? I'm, he apologized <laughs> if he had actually scared her, but he had the, the baseball cap on and the little ponytail at the back like girls in the movies do. Uh, but every single stage of it was the best. Yeah. And I need to borrow your phone because I took so many Snapchat videos and sent them to so many people that I had to borrow Susan's phone to take notes on because I want to take every single thing down. The first match was uh, amazing. I was already excited for it. The announcer, like the guy who gets in the middle of the ring and the let's get ready to rumble type guy, is this little like portly fella. I love him so much. He's got a ginger beard and glasses and he dressed in this pretty actually well-fitting suit. I was yeah. pretty proud of him. I thought it was going to be terrible. But he he came on and asked some several people. And the first match was a masked luchador. I can't roll my R's. Can you do it for me? A luchador. Yeah, but you gotta say it for the microphone. A luchador. Oh, everybody just swoons. A luchador <laughs> with the mask on and the cape that enters to the the one song from Kill Bill that's in Spanish. And his opponent is from San Francisco. And he was just Boo. this scrawny looking hipster dude. Yeah, and he that's the character he's playing as a hipster, and he's got like board shorts on. And this, like, designer And I think uh, the hoodie. whole point was that when he walked in, everyone was supposed to be like, what's this fool doing here? Yeah, he, uh, uh, so that one was pretty fun. I didn't know what to expect, and so I was more just, like, taking it all in than taking notes. I feel like, and there's several people that have to be into it, because I can't feel like they just randomly assign this at birth or whatever. To be a heel is a fate worse than death for me. I could never be a heel. Why? I don't know. I just like just because you don't want to walk into a bunch of like you don't want people to boo yeah, you. Yeah, I don't want to yeah. be mean. When I play like Mass Effect, and I'm like, this time I'm gonna be the mean one. I'm gonna see what that game is like. Every single time, I'm like, well, I can't say that. That's too mean. You're just too much of a nice guy. I'm a hell of a guy. Uh, there were there was a woman there who is uh, single at the time. Get on it, fellas. Uh, that kept trying to make eyes at one guy because he's pretty handsome and he also mm-hmm. only had a Speedo on. And it was really weird to be like, hey, don't flirt with him. He He's at work. Yeah, he's working. <laughs> yeah, it's like, don't flirt with the waitress. She's working right now. Don't flirt with that wrestler. He's working. <laughs> but I'm sure that wrestle boy would have loved the attention. Yeah, I'm probably... Probably. The the announcers themselves were pretty fun. I like the announcers. They were doing their best to be like, by God, that's Steve Austin's music or whatever. But mm-hmm. there's only so much they can do. They local referenced the hell, like the best they could do. I got to give up to them because it's not from Iowa City. It's yeah. from Davenport. From the Quad Cities. From yeah. the Quad Cities mainly. And so they came to Iowa City for this guy that we know. Uh, because he's originally from Iowa City, and so they and uh, played football for the Hawkeyes and played football for the Hawkeyes, and so they had just the the best local reference that they could. Uh, I learned that wrestling smells like bush light and mm-hmm. chicken wings, and it, and one really funny thing as all good things do as all good things do. And one really funny thing is that this guy drops a boot heel, and then you hear "order up" because <laughs> <laughs> we're in the middle of a bar and a restaurant and everything. Um, 
a wrestler entered to what I thought was the Decemberists, and it turns out he's like the court announcer, and he looked like Corey something. It's like an 80s child star, and it's not the blonde Corey, it's the dark-haired Corey. I can't remember who that if is. If it's a pop culture reference, you are 100% asking the wrong person. Sorry, but he was the, the only Corey I know is cooling. Yeah, so he went for the royal crier motif, and I later bought uh, tattoos from the king. Because they are amazing, and it's like Burger King, but it's not. That's where those came from. Yeah. I was wondering what those were. Anyway, the squire won. He's the bad guy, obviously, because yeah. he's like, oh, sit down for your king. And then he went up against a, an opponent that looked like White Power Bill from Arrested Development. And uh, the squire won by blackjack to the back of the head of the, the good guy. And so it's like, oh, this is the second match, and already a bad guy has won. This is going to have narrative twists and turns. Mm-hmm. Anyway. I'll probably have to type it up because I have way too many thoughts. But in any case, Wrestle Boys, amazing. My favorite moment of the night was at one point, there was a whole, there were some hype videos that were supposed to give you some background context. And there was one where like a guy who hadn't gone through the academy, so he wasn't approved to fight, was trying to get into the tournament. And then the next match, this guy comes all decked out in a, like, head-to-toe covered green bodysuit. It was Green Man from It's Always Sunny. Yeah. Um, And they played It's the Always Sunny, or the It's It's Always Always Sunny. Sunny. Yeah. Theme music. Theme as his entrance music. And at the end, it was revealed, you know, his mask was torn off. It was revealed that it was the guy who hadn't gone through the academy but when he, he came won the out, match, by the way, when he came out as the green man, I have never seen Mick's mouth open so wide in my entire life. It was amazing. I was into it. My coworkers all like brought it up this week. They were like, when that guy came out in the green costume, I thought Mick was going to explode. <laughs> it's a really like, I know that It's Always Sunny is a pretty popular show, but that is one hell of a reference to stick to but you know what though like i feel like it was something that in that context even people who hadn't watched it sunny would just roll with it because i haven't and i was still like what he's dressing all green what's happening he's doing like the moves and everything it's really funny because it's always sunny had a subplot where they become semi-professional wrestlers but they went with the the green man plot instead Mm mm-hmm yeah, but it was very good stuff. I liked it very much. And we're probably going to go back to another one. We and, have to. And bring a bunch of mixed coworkers. We have so to. I'm very excited about that. I, I have one final question, Susan. Yeah. If you were a wrestler, what would your entrance music be? Taking a nice um, sip of bourbon before we answer this question. Man, I Feel Like a Woman by Shania Twain. Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. Mine would either be... The Price is Right theme song. That'd be a great one. The Price is Right Mountaineer song. You know what I'm talking about? I do know what you're okay. talking about. Or Three Get It by uh, Run the Jewels. But. Okay, that would be a good one. I would also go with any variation of the Whose Line Is It Anyway drinking song. Like, I-D-I-D-I-D-I-D-I-D-I-D-I. When they do that, like, any. Any whatever of the topic words. it was yeah, on, if they did topic. one on pro wrestling. Oh, if they did one on pro wrestling. It would be amazing. Can you imagine Colin Mockery as a pro wrestler? Yeah, Colin, I, I suppose Mockery, and he'd yeah. be a heel. Yeah, yeah, it'd be great. My favorite thing about the heels were that the, the number one thing to be a villain 
was one to be from Ames, Iowa. Yeah, or to be wearing an Iowa State shirt. Yeah. yeah, two villains were from Ames, Iowa, and they got bigger booze than everyone else. Or two to be above it all. That's the yeah. worst thing you can be is to be above it. Yeah, which is delightfully politically relevant. Pretty great. So anyway, oh Russell yeah, there's a podcast. Russell Boys was really really good, and I want to go back to a bunch more of them. But we have a between, job to do. Between now and then. We got some books to talk about. We got some books to talk about. I got Mick a... Bad book exchange. I got Mick a Kindle exclusive. Ooh, exclusive. That sounds good. Um, It was called Master of Dragons. It's book three or four in a series. Uh-huh. And that's that's what I got you. How I hope it, I I got it because I feel like I feel like I really wanted to get you something that was going to be fun, something that was going to be absolutely stupid, but something that was going to be fun, like a puppy that keeps falling over. No, because that's cute. I didn't want to get you something cute. I wanted to get you something stupid, but fun, like, like a very attractive drunk man at a bar, or semi-professional wrestling, or semi-professional. That seems wrestling. to be right up my alley. Apparently. So how did I do? You did a very good job of getting me something very stupid, uh, and it was also very fun. Uh, Great success. Master of Dragons by Angela Knight is the book that Twilight fans are now reading. What did you read in the little blurb? Yeah, I picked this one out because I, so basically what I do when I try to find a book on the internet is I start with a book that seems pretty bad, and then I keep clicking on the- Recommended. On the viewers also purchased, and I just keep clicking there until I find a worse one. And then I found a little blurb at one point that said Twilight reader or Twilight fans are now reading and there were three different options and this was the one that looked like the worst one. Mm. It's pretty bad. Good. It's like Otherworld. If Otherworld, I hate to keep using this phrase, but if Otherworld wasn't so tongue in cheek, it is the... It's still real to me, damn it, wrestling fan of books. Yeah. Like, Otherworld is like, this is crazy. And then you read it and you're like, I know, right? Like, it's the guy at the bar that I connected Mm -hmm. eyes with. And I'm like, this is insane. It's so much fun. Whereas this one is the groupie that's like legitimately. Yeah, taking Instagram pictures with the wrestlers. Uh, It stars Yernin. Oh, I'm sorry. It stars Nineveh. That's not a good sign. It stars Nineveh Morak. N E. N-I-N-E-V-A is mm-hmm. her first name, Nineveh. Mm-hmm. M-O-R-R-O-C. Is Morak? The, Morak, I think is the Morak? thing. She is the last avatar to Samira, uh, a goddess. There was already a last avatar. His name was... Aang. Aang. No, that's the... He a- was the last airbender. He's the last airbender. Oh, he was the avatar. Yeah. Okay. Um... I was I was delightfully uh, my hopes were boosted when I when by the time I got past the dedications and all the final or all the uh, legal notices I was mm-hmm. already at two percent. Nice. I was like, okay, this one's gonna be doable. Uh, Nineveh is living on Earth somewhere somewhere. I thought it was Washington, but I might have just put that into my brain because of Twilight, <laughs> so or just, because of Otherworld, or because of Otherworld. Yeah. And all things happen in Washington. All things happen in Seattle. Uh, her dad is Irnin E I R N I N Morak. Uh, okay. Who is a uh, basically an elf Sidhe. Uh He used he used magic to appear human, and he works second shift at the mill, 
uh, along with his mom. And uh, when we first opened up, Nineveh is like a high school student, high school junior or something, getting Gross. ready for a chemistry test. Why? Books to be about high schoolers. Well, time jumps. Okay. All right. Uh, but th- this one really got me into that there's going to be so many better book ideas inside this book than the book is. For example, I would read a thousand books about an elf from this magical land who has to flee to Earthside and pretend to be human. And he gets, he's like a royal elf and he just has to work at the mill. That would be a pretty good book. Second shift. Yeah, or his daughter who just has to go to a high school in Washington. Well, she doesn't know anything else. Her oh, okay. mom is Sarah, and she's a human. So, right. Irnan, the mill worker. You well, know. I would, I would read a lot of books about that. Uh, the first thing that uh, Nineveh does outside of her house that we see in the story is back up her car and run over a dog. Okay, I would have stopped reading right there. Uh, she hops The dog out. doesn't die, no, does she? No, she hops out and brings it back to life. She's not supposed to use her powers, but she's not going to let the dog die. So now there's an undead dog running around. Oh. And this brings me to a good point. If you read about a villain who brings dead things back to life, that's necromancy. Yeah. Right? But when a good person does it, it's healing. Yeah. What's up but with that? Not... What's the double standard on necromancy? But it's not really healing if it's an undead dog. Yeah. But like, it's like it's back really to its healing. normal self. But it's definitely mm. undead. All right, yeah. Like, Stephen King would have things to say about mm. this. Stephen King would have things to say about everything. That's because he's got so many damn pages. I know. Uh, so the third thing she does outside of her house is to get her parents killed. Because it turns out that oh. she's been being hunted by her dad's cousin. Since she's the last Avatar, she can take over the throne or something. This is like, what, the eighth book in the series that you got me? I so, fourth. In any case, there's a lot of there's a lot of apparent backstory. So Irnan, the mill worker, is dead now. Is dead. Okay. Yeah. And his Good. daughter survives. She's been trained to be running away at all times, so she runs away. And then 12 years later. Oh, time jump. It is luckily the only time jump. I was very worried. Oh, okay. Uh, we get a lot of fake swearing just right away. Catch him worries egg is a swear like, Jesus Christ. Like Catch that kind of- C H C A C H A M W R I S. Bet you didn't expect that W. Kachamaries? Kachamaries? Kachamaries egg? Kachamaries egg. Either way, that's not really a like. This is really, yeah, no. Yeah. Curse words have to be satisfying to say. Yeah, we get introduced to Kel, who is a dragon that can transform into a man. That would be a better swear word than Kachamaries. And has also been in a sword for the last 15,000 years. In a what? Sword. In a sword? In a sword. A sword. Oh, uh, we like, get... Oh, uh, his, his, his soul has been in the sword? Yeah, I think I'll pass. Kel watched his friend's blade slide into its scabbard, remembering the way leather had felt around his own length, which, by the way... Gross. Dick references at the wazoo, or in the wazoo, is yeah. it like? For 1,500 years... I'm sorry, 1,500, not 15,000. He'd been trapped in a magical blade, mind-linked to Gawain... Those of you who are well-versed in your Arthurian legend may recognize Gawain as a Knight of the Round Table. Kale is also a Knight of the Round Table because Arthur is in this book. Oh, good. A- able to move only slightly in his steel cage. I like my freedom, Kale says. Gawain and Lark had broken the spell that had trapped him in the sword just six months before. Kel's first act had been to kill the dragon who'd imprisoned him, his own uncle, who'd also arranged his mother's murder. So his uncle is a dragon who killed his own sister and then imprisoned his nephew somehow in a sword. Yeah. 
Hot damn, man. Exposition does a lot of heavy work at the beginning. For example, the alternate Earth where the mortal humans lived. Like, that's a lot of information mm-hmm. packed into one sentence. Um, I'll come back, but we get a sex scene pretty easy, on, pretty early on at 7%. Between? Between Cal and Nineveh. Those, those oh, are the only okay. sex scenes we see, but okay. a lot of sex is hinted at. Okay. Um, another, or it's a, it's not a sex scene, I suppose, because it's only a dream sequence, but it's a pretty Ooh, explicit dream sequence. Dreams are very important because Nineveh keeps having dreams about having sex with a hot dragon man, or a hot man. And then he turns into a dragon and breathes fire on her and she burns to death. She dies? Well, in her dream, yeah. Oh, in her dream. Wasn't there another book where the first sex scene between the two main characters was in a dream? Probably. Loyal listeners, look it up. Let us know. Yeah, Charles, let at, me know. At Bibliovile on Twitter, a handle I have not nailed down yet. Um, another great book idea that is not this book idea is that Nineveh is making her living either like waitressing and bartending or as a children's party magician. That's amazing. And so she's like doing actual magic as well as like normal party magician magic. Uh, and so she uses magic to hide her pointy elf ears, except in when she's doing party, like party magic. And then she lets her elf shine through and they just assume it's a makeup. And she wears like this frilly little like fairy dress or whatever. And she goes and does this girl's birthday party. And they, they, she's like, oh, another ho-drum, like, misusing my skills thing again. But that's awesome. It's a pretty good book idea, and I wish yeah. it was the rest of the book idea. And then, just for no goddamn reason, the girls come around the corner excited to see this magician, and there's the birthday girl, and she's wearing a, a blonde curly wig, and she looks really sickly. And it turns out this little girl has brain cancer. Why? Like an eight, like a seven year old maybe, and she's got brain cancer, and she's that's gonna really die. That's really depressing. Yeah, and so Nineveh saves her or whatever. But it's oh, like, that's good. That's good, but it's like, why? Why do we gotta do why that? Why you gotta give me a, a seven year old with brain cancer who just wants to have fun with her friends on her birthday? And then she looks at her mom, and she's like, "Mommy, my brain, my head doesn't hurt anymore." And like, come on! And then the rest of it is just like banging this dragon dude. But at least she saves the little girl. Thank Jesus, right? Um, and so Kel comes to get Nineveh out of mortal earth and into what I'm just gonna call Otherworld. Um because Don't you besmirch the name of Otherworld. She's the last avatar and he's Kamarachi's chosen or something, and there's a prophecy about keeping the Dark Ones out, and the Dark Ones are both aliens and demons in a way. Turns out Merlin is also a de- or also an alien that came to Mortal Earth, talked to Arthur, and then Arthur went to back to like the other world. But in order to keep them all alive, the men became vampires and the women became mages or something. And so like Lancelot's there and Gawain and... Uh, oh, this is my second book with Morgaine in it, which is kind of Good. fun. She's in other world too. Yes, maybe yeah. there's a crossover going to happen. Maybe. Uh, in his other world. So it turns out that in the time when she's been running away without her parents, the guy who was chasing them and made her like fear for her life has been killed already. So she can just go over to the whatever. Um, we get introduced to Diana, uh, Prince. Wonder Woman. Yeah. Uh, not her. But Diana is a werewolf and former city admin of Verdeville, South Carolina. And she's pregnant with the Elf King's baby. I assume that these were previous characters. Uh, Merlin is an alien. King Arthur's a vampire. Oh, uh, she finds out that the round table not only exists, but fixes worldly problems. 
like oh. like Al Qaeda. Al Qaeda's in this too. Al Qaeda is referenced in this. They never go talk to Al Qaeda, but the the Knights of the Round Table are involved with. Uh... <laughs> All right. Uh, the Knights of the Round Table are involved with fixing worldly problems like Al-Qaeda. Um, we're waiting, Knights of the Round Table. Yeah, get come to on, it. get it together. Uh, it turns out later in the book, I can't get over this, and so I'm going to have to skip a lot. But it turns out that we're supposed to let bad things happen because if we stop or if we stop some bad things, then worse bad things will happen. Like the book Grim, Grim uh, Arthur's book, which stands for Grimoire. Of course, it's a magic book that talks by flapping its mouth like a comedy bang bang. Oh, uh, he, he tells everyone that if 9-11 has, didn't happen, then Al-Qaeda would have exploited the lax security. So thank you, Patriot Act. Uh, Al-Qaeda would have exploited the lax security to nuke Washington. And in response, the USA would have nuked Afghanistan. And then Russia would have responded by nuking apparently everything and the world would have ended. Oh. Uh, so... I was definitely not expecting this sex book about dragons. This to, is like to get into like early two thousands geopolitics. This is like two percent just throwaway. Like it's on the skim of it. It doesn't actually matter to the plot at all. They just throw it in there. Then why? I don't know. But the the thing that bothers me is if that they were able to stop nine eleven, another worse nine eleven would have happened. Why couldn't they have just stopped that nine eleven? Yeah. It doesn't make any... If you can stop bad things from happening, why does it matter that another bad thing is going to happen? Because you could stop that you one, could stop too. You could stop that one, too, assumably. Whatever. And so, uh... The Grim, the Grimoire, is okay. kind of like... The, uh, the, the talking, talking book. book. Is Arthur's basically, like, assistant, and they miss such a good joke by not calling him his page. <laughs> Uh, that would have been a great, great joke. Yeah, and I'm looking directly at the microphone because I'm looking at you, Michelle, right now. I know you're listening to this several weeks later. But in Arthurian legend, I have to say I'm not I'm not brushed up on it, and for some reason I assume you are. Was a character trait of Arthur to have a, a hot temper? I feel like Arthur is the quintessential, like, even-keeled dude. Yeah, wasn't he, like, the? he was the quintessential gentleman yeah he's the king of the, like, the white knight not the king of kings that's jesus but the white knight the white knight and he had the round table because he wanted to be equal to everyone else yeah and apparently in this book his is infamous temper i don't know uh but now we get uh to the part where they start having sex and i'll come back to that because it's very fun okay so they have sex a lot because it turns out that samira uh who is who nineveh's avatar to uh, turns out to be a fertility goddess. Ooh. And so the way to power her trapped in her own sword, because she's also trapped in a sword. Why is everyone trapped in swords? I don't know. But How the... do they become trapped in swords? What does that process look like to trap something in a sword? I don't know what the process is, but the way that she got trapped in a sword was because the Dark Ones used to live, they're demons and aliens and stuff. They used to live on Aliens? The... Yeah, and they used to live on the same, yeah, there's aliens in other worlds, and Merlin travels between worlds setting up. Uh, preparedness for when the dark ones try to invade because they have an empire and there's so it's also science fiction um so uh also arthur has a uh magical flip phone um what yeah he's a flip phone yeah uh so samira is he's a arthur he doesn't have a flip phone because well, he's still alive why wouldn't he have a flip phone he's still alive yeah, he's a vampire he's a he's a vampire yeah that 
the only like true thing about vampires is that they have to sleep at night. Like the rest of it's just myth. Which is like, then why am I a vampire? Anyway. So, Samira used to be a real like in the flesh thing that w- worked with the Sidhe or elves or I don't like whatever. Uh, and then when they were in the battle to knock the Dark Ones off the planet, uh, she was dying, and so her normal elf lover cast her into a sword with his dying breath so that she wouldn't get killed and could hide away from the Dark Ones, and the Dark Ones later get defeated, through which I am not sure. Are the Dark Ones Al-Qaeda? No. Uh, all of the wizards wear polos and jeans. Nineveh says, I guess it's always what casual time? Friday in Avaline. Okay, that's a great line. That's pretty great. What time period is this set in? All of them. I don't understand. Uh, Nineveh runs into several people, and everyone, every man is the handsomest man she's ever seen. Turns out there's a rebellion against the current elf king who killed the murderous elf king. Uh, who's ma- the, the new elf king is the one married to the werewolf. Uh, there's no werewolf? Yeah, I told you about that. Okay, you did. I'm sorry, there's just been so many insane elements that have been introduced. summary. I'm listening. There's just so much. I got distracted by Al-Qaeda. Uh, so anyway, there's a rebellion, and she runs into the rebellion. They have the sword, and so they try to. They have stolen the sword from the guy, the rightful elf Is king. there anyone trapped in this sword? Yes, yeah, Samira. Okay. And so they stole Samira's sword from the rightful elf king and present it to her to wake Samira up and then try to kill Nineveh uh, while still taking Samira's sword, the the bad guy, the the rogue elf Ardolin or something like that. Okay. Uh, and he's also the handsomest man she's ever seen. The dragon, Kel, is the handsomest man she's ever seen. She runs into at least three more people who are the handsomest man she's ever seen. So she just sees handsome men everywhere. Um, so they have to do it a bunch, Kel and Nineveh, to wake up Samira to get her powerful enough to find the sword so they can take it away, but it turns out that they use... They steal Kamarachi's egg because that's a real thing. That there's like a there's a like a relic. There's an actual egg. egg. Yeah. Okay. They steal it. They stab the book. They steal the book, uh, Grim, mm-hmm. and they stab it with the sword, and it bleeds onto the egg, and the egg explodes and it opens a portal for the dark ones to invade. And so they didn't actually do any of their job that they were supposed to do, and it turns out that they weren't supposed to do it in the first place. But then Kel, uh, burn, or they get, Kel and uh, Nineveh get true bonded, which means that you're basically like telepathic with each other and bonded for life. But it's not marriage because they get married later. Uh, and so they get true bonded. And so through a true bond, you can support each other's life. Uh, you can like send your energy to support someone's life. And so Kel- So if like one of the person, one of the people in the true bond die, like know. if we're true bonded, I, I can send my life force into you. Yeah. But then what if one of the people dies? I don't know. But you can send your truth, you can send your life force to me to help me survive. And so Kel turns into his dragon form and burns uh, Nineveh alive and her eyeballs <gasps> pop because he's burning her alive and her, her skin like crinkles. And then also Kel dies uh, and his, like, his dragon skin turns to ash. And it's really weird seeing a burnt dragon because dragons usually don't burn. And then they come back to life. How? Yeah, they do. Why did he burn her? Because that, that was the last part of the prophecy, and through burning... No, like, on purpose, that you're supposed to. And through burning her, uh, Samira is reborn, and then uh, the dragon god, Kamarachi, and Samira are actually lovers, and they undo all of the death magic that's happening on this battlefield, and then the good guys win. That's good, yeah. I guess. and it also turns out the demons and aliens were aliens... I don't know. Um, There's aliens, though. Yeah, and at the end, they get married... 
Oh, even the demon, by the way, was creeped out seeing a dragon burn this lady and get burned in return. Even the, like, the demon bad girl alien was like, what the hell is going on? What is this? Samesies. Yeah. Um, but then they lose. Uh, Merlin comes back. <clears throat> he's a small boy. Okay. Uh, and he's the one who officiates their wedding. Kettle a small and- boy officiates their wedding? Well, he's like old in soul. But like, but he's, he's a he small looks boy. Like a small boy. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and so Merlin marries them. They get married, and then Merlin or Kemarachi, the dragon god, whisper kisses her on the cheek, and then she turns into a dragon. And so now they're both dragons. What? And then the okay. last, the last she, line I, of the novel. I, I, Swan she John. turns into a dragon. She turns into a dragon. Swan of John. The last line of the novel involves uh, Morgane looking at her and be like, "I wondered when she was going to find out that trick." And it's like. Is that a trick that's a magic spell she can do? Or she was always a dragon? What do you mean by that? Yeah. I don't know. So. But the thing I'm here to talk about is sex scenes in this book because they are so cringeworthy. And also I think I found a fetish of the authors and it's rhyming. Oh, no. Slant rhymes seem to be a fetish of this book. I'm uh, still like my my brain... It's a lot, right? Is still about two and a half minutes back when you talked about minutes. King Arthur's is a vampire flip phone. Oh, he has a flip phone and his ringtone on the the elf god or the elf king's flip phone. So he calls him with the flip phone. Uh, his ringtone for the elf god is "Blue Suede Shoes" by Elvis. <laughs> so anyway, the sex and there's aliens. One of the very first, yeah, there's aliens. They're demons. Uh, she becomes a dragon? She becomes a dragon. People are trapped in swords? People are trapped in swords. Uh, so one of the very first, like, oh, like the sex in this book is not disgusting, but there's occasionally just a turn of phrase where you're just like, oh, no, thank you, please don't. That's how uh, I feel about this whole book so far. Yeah, so far. Uh, his dick has a head like a fat crown. Is how it is put. Oh, Kel's dear. Dick. Uh, she has a softly furred delta. Oh, no, thank it, you. It talks a lot about how soft her pubes are. No, thank you. Um, which pubes are always coarse. I never got... Maybe she uses conditioner on them. I guess that's some specific conditioner use. Uh, so before I say this next one, I have to start my, my slant rhyme. Oh, no. Just count how many slant rhymes you hear when we talk about sex in this book. Uh, she... <laughs> She has a creamy seam. Oh, no. A creamy no, seam. No, don't say it Cream again. Seam. Don't say it again. Don't say it anymore. Oh, no. And when he does her, he wraps his cock in cream and velvet. Oh, gross. Uh, at one point, he's naked in front of her and uh, is showing off with an erection. He is showing off his beefy rigidity. Uh, that's horrible yeah he goes down on her and eats or ate her like a plum is the phrase that is used i think a peach because of her softly for adult oh god (laughs) no 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 Uh, this might be my favorite no no, this might be my favorite no 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 is that his balls uh, Drew. Oh, we don't need to talk about his balls. His ball. Oh, he has blue pubes, by the way. Why are they blue? Because his hair is blue. Why are they blue? Because his dragon farm is blue. 
No! He has blue pubes. His balls drew into tight, hot knots. No! That sounds like something you'd say when you have bad poops. <laughs> no! Oh, man, honey, I got the hot knots. <laughs> no! Uh, speaking of his blue pubes, I have another quote. No, 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 no. Uh, where's no, the other quote? No. Oh, he presented his thick cock to slick opening. Thick and slick. Oh, this is bad. <laughs> Hot and not. Beefy rigidity. That's a slant, right? Uh, and the last one, I'm going to tell you this last one. Okay. Is that he is walking through a sex maze because she they have to do several what sex. What is a sex maze? Well, they have to do several sex spells to get Samir, like, sufficiently okay. powered up. And so part of that is that she has to, like, put runes on the floor and he has to walk through them in a specific pattern. It's kind of like a sex maze. And oh. so the entire time it's happening, he's, like, getting more and more turned on as he's walking through the sex maze. Uh, and so she gets a, a chance to look at his tight, furred sack of his ball. <laughs> sack, by the way, without a K. S-A-C. Sack of his balls. Sack, without a K, is my least favorite word in the English language. And now it's his blue pubed balls. Why? You got you, me this book. Don't look at me like I like Why that. would you want to, like, voluntarily look at that, though? It's not the most attractive Oh, bit. oh, also, 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 I forgot to point out, like, oh, before, no. like, this isn't a gross thing. Okay, are but you this sure? Is, this is just how, uh, unrealistically <clears throat> books portray sex, is that in order to get Samir powered up, they, like, have to have sex, and they're gonna mm-hmm. do it one more time before this final battle, so the pressure's mounting on, and you know what sex really responds well to? Oh, yeah, it responds super well to pressure. It responds super well to pressure so I'm assuming, and scheduling. So I'm assuming that uh, the scheduling and the pressure, the, the sex, um, was super awkward and didn't work well for either of them, and no. it ended in a series of, hey, I'm really sorry, but, are you mad at me? Yeah, I will say, to their credit, it's very clear that they're trying really hard to be sexy, and yeah. they're like, we're trying too hard. And so then they just, like, laugh once and then have really amazing, mind-blowing sex afterwards, which is, nope. like, that's not, like, pressure and time are nope. not well-suited for doing it well. Mm-mm. I don't mean to get too personal to you, listener, but that's not how it works. Nope. Take notes. Anyway, that was the book I read. That was crazy. Master of Dragons, I think it was called. I, yes, that's what that I hate, was crazy. That's what I hate about Kindle books because I can't see their cover every time. That was crazy. And, and I rushed through a lot of it. I didn't even talk about how the alien possesses people by touching their foreheads during sex. aliens. Yeah, uh, sometimes she has to have sex with them to possess them, and other times she can just touch them on the shoulder. So it's like, why are you bothering having sex with them? Because it's a sex book. Why were uh, so many people stuck I also in swords? Di- I also didn't bring up how at one point Nineveh has to defend the werewolf queen from the alien who is currently possessing like the honor guard, like eight people at once, um, in a fight, and the lady gets stabbed in the stomach, but misses the baby gets like cut along the hip, and so she's dying. The baby's gonna die, and so the court or Morgane, the version of Morgane in this book does a c-section on the pregnant lady the pregnant werewolf did i tell you she's pregnant no she's pregnant uh does a c-section on the pregnant werewolf because werewolves can't change without killing the baby apparently 
uh, unless the baby's that also a werewolf. Actually, I don't know. That has been consistent in several of our books. Well, good. So she does a C-section on the one-month preemie baby, who is apparently as big as a normal baby. So they were really actually like, wow, maybe it's good that we took this baby out because it was going to be a big-ass baby. Uh, takes the baby out in a C-section. One month, like she was one month pregnant or she was one month away from One delivery. month away. Okay, yeah, that's fine. And so she C-sections the baby out and then the mom turns into a werewolf and heals her wounds by shape-shifting, apparently heals wounds. Yep, that, that's then, also consistent and amongst then, a lot of our books. The, the, the dad has healing powers just like Nineveh and heals the baby. Well, that's good. That's good, but it's kind of bonkers. This whole thing was bonkers. Yeah, you look exhausted. I am exhausted. And plus, your book is probably bonkers as well. There's so much weird shit in both of these books, and I love it. I love it, too. I'm I really love it. Book. But you know what I don't love? What? Empty bourbon glasses. But that is my book, and that is Bonkers, and that is Bonkers' book. We are moving on to your apparently Bonkers' book, He of the Aqualad. It's so not tell me, the Aqualad. Tell me what sort of boy is in the water this time. So what this sort of book, water boy are we talking about? This book is not a water boy. Mm. This book is not called Aqualad. It is called the Achilliad. Oh. I will give you five smooshes if you can capture that fruit fly that's been I don't floating wanna, around. I don't want to like spank the microphone here. Okay. If you hear a loud clap and your speakers blow, it's Susan's fault. Because by God, am I not sacrificing five smooches? Yeah, you gotta get them smooches. Okay, so tell book, me about this water boy. This book is not called Aqualad. Oh. It is called the Achilliad, like the Iliad. But water. No, but a man named Aquila. Oh. It is book one. Of the Achilliad, and it is titled Aquila in the New World. Yes, I got this for you. I bought this book. We Can, own it now. We own this now. Can you tell me how you found it? How did you find the Achilliad? So Dickinson uh, took a page out of Matt Lauer's book. Matt Lauer that has not appeared on the podcast for almost a year now. But Matt Lauer did something that, the, that you and I hardly ever do. Research. And so it entered into my head that the thing I wanted you to read most in the world was terrible alternative history. And so you succeeded in finding it. I searched for alternate history books and I found I found 1654 and I found another one that I'm still looking for. Okay. And I found the Aqualad. Achilliad. Whatever. And so I found the Aqualad by Achilliad. through this uh, thing, and then it is not at our, our library, and so I had to order it off Amazon, and you have actually had this longer than you had 1654, if I remember 1632. All right. But almost <laughs> as long, yeah. Um, this book, when it came in the mail... Mick was very excited. And I was immediately concerned, because this book... On the front cover has a photo of... Well, a picture. A picture of... <laughs> a photo. Um, An Olmec, it, a Toltec Olmec head. Yes. A brontosaurus. Some hot air balloons. Say S-P-Q-R. Yep. Which I believe is the Roman Empire's abbreviation it for It sure itself. is. Uh, a pyramid. Like an Aztec Mayan pyramid. Some UFOs. Some silver... Chrome structures. It looks very uh, Blade Runnery. The and original. then a piece of machinery with Flash Gordon dials. And then a Native American man with the longest arms I've ever seen. His distance from shoulder to elbow is longer than his distance from sh- shoulder to waist. 
his distance five, maybe like 1.5 times his distance he's also wearing a loincloth his distance from shoulder to fingertip is longer than the pyramid is tall well that's in the distance no it's not <laughs> his arms are just that long it's insane um, we'll have to post a picture of it on our description it's amazing and then i flipped it over and i read the back Ooh, honey on this alternate earth rome rules all including the new world Known in other dimensions as America, but here as Terra Nova. I'll stop you right there. The New World encompasses North and South America. America, the country, is but one portion of it. But now it's Terra Nova. For New World. General Titus Papinianus is governor of that untamed land, and Aquila, chief of the savage Lakodi nation, is a Roman senator. I'd also just like to... Uh, pause you here you enter into a sexy voice when you're reading something but official titles aside their duty is to caesar <laughs> so when caesar sends them on a quest for caesar's the fabled dead. land of china thought to be somewhere in terra novo off they go they are hardly prepared for bloodthirsty aztecs flying machines time traveling aliens or bigfoot what and Aquila's problem solving strategies are unconventional to say the least before they know it, their adventures lead them into the hands of the time criminal, the time criminal. who is bent on altering all the multiple universes to suit his own evil whims. Every single time I forget about the time criminal. Somehow they have to stop him before their world is destroyed. I think I said this last episode, but I do enjoy that the Roman Empire did a better job with America than the English and Spanish. <laughs> really? I mean, better Native in that Americans they're still, still alive. alive, but not better in that they still, like, Rome still sucks a lot. And that's that's discussed often in this book. So this book starts off with a bang. And I would expect no less of a book with this particular cover and that particular back page description. The first sentence, and our book is titled by Titus, the, the Roman governor, and he begins by reminiscing. Once, when I was very young, father took me in the motor car to Via Appia to see a man being crucified. Motor car, huh? Yes. So our story begins in ancient Rome, where well, for some so reason, there are motor cars. No one knows how they're made. It's believed that they're a gift from the gods and that the gods created them. And no one knows how to repair them. So when they stop working, they're done forever. Is this the time criminal? This is the time criminal. And he's boosting, but we don't know it yet. He's boosting cars. He has infinite time criminal powers and he's boosting cars. So the first couple pages talk about like Titus as a young man. His, Grand time auto. His Sorry. tutor, Nikius. Nikius? Nikius, maybe? Um, they are with. Titus's father and they are watching a man be crucified and they're talking about the the important Roman values and how important it is to be a good Roman citizen. And then a few pages later, um, Titus in the present day is saying, perhaps I've painted too genial a picture of those days, but alas, they were all too short. My father lost favor with the emperor got accused by the Empress Papea of some tomfoolery and was permitted to commit suicide. So very quickly we go from Titus being like the son of a very wealthy and very influential politician who's 
got all these all this access to resources, has a very promising career ahead of him. All of a sudden, his, his father is forced to commit suicide, and he's supposed to be able to inherit, but all of his things get taken away by the emperor, and he's basically just sort of left destitute. So what year is this? It's supposed to be like ancient Rome. I don't know the particular you year. You said modern day. Oh, I'm sorry. I meant modern day, like at the time up, of the story. Up to speed. Up to speed, Titus. You're, you're. I'm sorry. Yep that that's confusing. Um, so there are several emperors. There are several Caesars that. So Caesar became a title mm-hmm. after Julius. Yes. And so it's we're not after Caesar, Julius. It's Kaiser. I'm sorry, Kaiser. Um, so we're after Julius. There are several emperors that Augustus. come through. Um, Augustus is the second one. He's the one who died in the chocolate. Yes, exactly. Um, so a couple of like interesting things about this. So like Rome rules all. Yeah, buddy. And so there is no Christianity or there was no Christianity like in well, this particular world. Christianity didn't catch on. Christianity didn't catch on. There's Judaism. And so there is Judaism. Um, and so instead of, but also like the ancient Roman gods are still what we refer to. Mm-hmm. And so that's who they believe in. And when they like swear, they say like by Jove and um, like Jove willing, which I found kind of interesting. Um, the big thing about the Romans, especially the Kaiser, is that everything is all about spectacle. And yeah. so he like basically wastes all of his people, all of his resources, all of his money on these big spectacles. Somebody watch Gladiator. And so, like, people are killed with lions and crocodiles. And if you do even one minor thing to annoy Caesar, you wind mm. up, Kaiser, you wind up getting thrown in the pit with all these crocodiles. And Oh, my. There's these jokes about, well, not really jokes. It's, it's true that intelligent and capable people never rise to power in the Roman Empire because Kaiser kills them all. That's why the Roman Empire collapsed in the real world. Yeah. And so um, it's sort of implied through that discussion that like our main character, Titus, is like kind of a bumbling idiot, which is fair and true. Um, So our main character, Titus, is given control of um, a, a, a unit in the army, and he is asked to take over some land for Kaiser. And, and does it discuss how they discovered the New World before they discovered China, a, a land that the Roman Empire is literally attached to? So China is the big China is the big goal. Yes. Kaiser is constantly trying to find China. You do know that like ancient Rome had contact with China. Yeah, but not in this world. That's where they get all the they silk. Ca- they can't togas. find China, and silk is like this big myth. They haven't found silk yet. What do they make their togas out of? I don't know. Cotton? Cotton. Cotton. Um, but so the, the new world has been discovered, but right now, like, um, Titus is being sent to something in, like, the region of, I believe, what, where Turkey would be. That he's Antolia. supposed to. He's supposed to. Did they call it Antolia? To go take care of things there. Um, Susan, did they call it Antolia? They did not. Damn it. Um, and so throughout this expedition, he meets an individual named Aquila. And Aquila is a member of the Lakodai Nation. And he was a uh, like a, a general of the Lakodai that 
the Lakota. The Lakota, yes. Yeah, but but pluralized in Roman. Yes. Ter- that's actually really clever. So and I'm very proud of that. I'm gonna get to that in a hot second. Okay. There's a lot more, and I loved it. But so Aquila like helped the Roman Empire take over some stuff in the New World. He and some of his people were brought over essentially as slaves. They were captured that's and brought no over. No worse to Rome. than what Glamis did. And so our our introduction to Aquila, unsurprisingly, my friends, is a little bit racist. So. I will say, pointing finger in the air, is this the character is racist or the author is racist? The author. Uh, the character. It's the character. Okay. Okay. Virgil's description of the hell beings of Avernus, whom Aeneas saw on his descent into Hades, was nothing compared to this. It was a weather-beaten face with a hooked nose and a hawk-like and hawk-like brown eyes, and it was painted in garish reds and yellows and striped with black. Its hair was long and white, and in a headband, a number of eagle feathers stuck out. It was almost naked. It stooped with age, and its chest sagged like an old man's. A breech clout of some kind of leather hid its privates. It smelled of some strange oil. If it had bathed at all, it was no Roman bath it took. So that's our indi- that's our introduction to Aquila. First, and I know that this is alternate history, but historical bullshit, I'm going to call on this, because Native Americans bathe regularly mm-hmm. and are, in fact, much, much, much cleaner than, cleaner the, Europeans than the Europeans who showed up. Yeah. All of the Europeans stop, can't stop talking about how hot and handsome and adorable and beautiful the Native Americans are, yeah. and Native Americans can't stop talking about how ugly and smelly and gross the Europeans are. To be fair, Aquila and the other, like, Terra Novan people do that a whole lot, and it's pretty great. What talk about talk how about how ugly and unclean the the oh, Romans Akira are? Aquila, okay. yeah, yeah. I um, so back to like the the Roman the Latin pluralization and spelling of things. That was something that I super loved about this book. So they reference a lot of different um, like Native American tribes and, and the way that they yeah and nations and the way that they spell them is like. Is spelled in like what? Yeah, Latinized, and so the Cherokee is C H R I C H I I. The Cherokee. Uh, I'm legitimately enjoying this. The Choctaw or the Choctavi, C H O C T A V I I. (laughs) Iroquois are the Iroquavia, I R A C U A V I A. (laughs) Iroquois is a French word. Yeah. Yeah. Um, The Apache are A P A X I I. (laughs) <laughs> and the Lakota are L-A-C-O-T-I-A. That's Lakotia. actually really fantastic. It was excellent. I, I liked it a yeah. whole lot. Um, there's also, so Titus, when he meets some of Aquila's soldiers, um, he translates their names. And so he refers to some of them, two of them as Ursus Erectus, which would be Standing, standing Bear. Standing Bear, yeah. And then Lupus Solitarius, which lone would be wolf. Lone Wolf. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, I just really loved that and appreciated that a lot, that like this this Roman general like interprets everything and translates it into his head, into Latin. Um, I also really appreciated that... Um, Aquila, so this this book was written to be satire. Would that be Waters? Eagle, apparently. Eager. Oh, Eagle. Oh, yeah. I suppose Equis yeah. is. Yeah. Um, so this book was written to be satire. It's supposed to be satire of the way that we talk about the colonization of the New World and the way that we talk about, mm-hmm. essentially, like, American history. Um, and Aquila is the, the, like, the main... The main point of satire in it, and so he immediately is he like the Tonto and the Lone Ranger, where he's the one who solves the problem. Yeah, 
Always. Nice. Um, and so he, as I'm soon, into as, this, as, soon as he meets Titus, he starts questioning, like, Titus legitimately believes in the sovereignty of Rome and Kaiser is God. And we were put on, the Romans were put on this earth to take over and show all of the savages how life should be, which is how the British yeah. were too. The Spanish mostly. But the yeah. Spanish and, and the Americans. British and everybody. How do you say manifest destiny in Latin? Yeah. They just refer to it as manifest destiny. Really? In here yes, too? Yes, they do, yeah. <laughs> um, and Aquila immediately, as soon as we meet him, starts questioning the sovereignty of Rome and is 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 questioning and pushing Titus on, like, why? Why is it Rome? Like, why is this Why is this the, the thing that you believe? Why should this be? Um, and so in the first, essentially, like, chapter of it, Aquila and his soldiers help Titus defeat their enemies and so Titus starts to realize that like maybe the Romans don't have all of the answers maybe there's something to be said for the things that these Terranovans know and do and believe and barbarians he says it finally dawned on me that a handful of eccentric savages had rescued the honor of Rome all right so uh point savages obviously is making connection to what Spanish and English would call Native Americans yeah. and Americans, but the Romans would call them barbarians because that literally they means... call them barbarians too. Okay, the word, they they use both terms. Okay, good. Um, I'm actually so, really into this book. It you know it was actually it was really fun and I think you wouldn't hate reading it. Um, <laughs> glowing praise, glowing praise. So well, I mean we own it, so you might as well. <laughs> That's true, right? Um, yeah, this book one. So that was part one, part two. So essentially. Titus keeps getting sent by Kaiser on all of these different... I love different... that I made you actually change and you, you don't even... You keep looking at me askance when I don't. So Kaiser keeps sending Titus on all of these missions essentially because he wants to get rid of him and he's hoping that Titus dies. Yeah. He's like, he's like, I'm kind of done with you and I, I want you to go away. So I'm mm-hmm. going to send you on these crazy missions. If you happen to succeed, I'm going to be excited about it. But I don't think that you will and I'm not going to be mad about it if you die. So the next mission that he sends him on is to find China. And he sends him into what is what we would know as South America. And he finds the Olmecs. So, so Central America. I'm sorry, Central America. Okay. Yes. He finds the Olmecs. Hence the yeah. Olmec skull head, head yeah. on the... On the Olmec, Toltec. Uh, so the Olmecs predate the Mayans, and they just yep. sort of stop showing up. We're not sure why. Yeah. Um, oh, by the way, by the way, before we get much further, if you want to know a lot about Native American culture that is not like Crow and Iroquois and North American Native American culture, the nomadic thing that, uh, or nomadic nations that American settlers run into, you want to know more about like the actual, take that back, I am sorry. But the, the, the more traditional cities and trade routes that we identify more casually as uh, civilization, like the Aztecs, the Incas, the Mayans, read 1491. It's absolutely amazing by, by Charles, Charles Mann. Mann. Uh, it's about what mainly Central and South America were like before Columbus shows up. I'm and reading it right now. It's, it's really, really good. amazing. Yeah. Um, this book is not bad, but it's fun. Um, Sorry, so- I want to give that a plug. A good plug. I appreciate that. Um, it was kind of fun to be reading that at the same time that I was reading this. <laughs> so they are captured by the Olmecs. Um, their their company includes a couple of philosophers, all of Titus's soldiers, Aquila and Aquila's soldiers as well. 
Um, and there, there's some, there's some really good satire in this book all throughout. Like the um, Romans never admit they're wrong. One, yes, but also one thing that I really appreciated here. So there's a, there's a, a piece where you get exposition from Titus, and he's talking about how the Romans kill people for spectacle. And the Olmecs sacrifice people for religious purposes because they're the barbarians. So, like, the Olmecs are sacrificing three or four people because it's part of a religious ceremony for Mm. them and it's something of great honor and importance. The Romans are killing thousands upon thousands of people for entertainment. But it's the Olmecs that are the barbarians. It It turns out two groups of people can be bad. Interesting, right? Or wrong. Um, wrong. And so there was one really funny moment that I think you would have gotten a huge kick out of um, where there's Aie is one of the philosophers. He's a Roman philosopher and he's very annoying. And so he's always constantly trying to take what they see and what they're experiencing and put it in terms that are proving what the Kaiser currently thinks. He's a political officer. Yeah, what is is accepted by Roman belief. Mm -hmm. And... Titus at this point, this is only in part two, but Titus is already starting to be like, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't work. And so he's starting to get a little irritated with IA. And at this point, uh, Titus has like some tummy troubles. Diarrhea. Yeah. He drank their water. Yeah. And he's really tired of listening to IA and they're in these cages that are suspended and he's right above IA. And so he just poops all over him. This is like Montezuma's revenge in a world where Montezuma doesn't exist. He just poops all over him, and it was really funny. What's up with the Aztecs? Um, I managed to claw my way painfully along the railings of my cage until I was positioned directly above Aie, and I proceeded to void copiously at him, drenching him thoroughly with the liquidescent contents of my bowels. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) It was so gross, and it was funny. Oh, that's good. Um, To get them out of this predicament, so they are captured by the Olmecs. The Olmecs believe that Aquila is their god, and they are going to be sacrificing all of the rest of them to Aquila, and then also sacrificing Aquila. What? Um, This is like the Ewoks all over again. Yes, and so Aie thinks he's being really clever, and he knows that an eclipse is about to happen, and so he's trying to convince them that he is, like, omnipotent because he knows that the eclipse is happening and they're all like dude we know there's going to be an eclipse (laughs) we have like our scientists are me too yeah our scientists are way better than yours we know there's going to be an eclipse stop being an idiot i love that so much it was hysterical (laughs) it was absolutely hysterical because they're not dumb they're not dumb holy shit the romans are dumb no well they're self-centered like yeah. they were in history but yeah. holy shit i love that these oh i'm into this you should act, this I, I actually kind of want you to read this book um so this the scientists and the philosophers so like ia and these other you know these other characters they see they take what they want to see in the natural world and they make it fit their already existing world information view. bias yeah. and so all of the like what you would consider to be the common soldiers in titus's company are the ones that are like really starting to understand things and and take what they see and having what they see shape their worldview versus the other way around. And so in um, part three, so they <laughs> Aquila sees Bigfoot. Yeah. Is so the part name of three it? is titled Aquila meets Bigfoot. Meets Bigfoot. 
So you know it's going to pop off here. <laughs> um, so they they don't find China in Central America. They go back to Rome. Kaiser's very disappointed, so he sends them out again. And they're pushing their way west. So they're crossing the Rocky Mountains, essentially. Oh, so they're in North America. So. They're in North America now. Um, all right. And so they've, they've gone all over. Like, this spans decades. So they're oh. in Central America. They go back to Rome. Just like the Rome. Iliad. They That's go, really interesting, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they go back to Rome, and now they're in North America. They're crossing the Rockies. And they, they see, each other. at some point, they see what what we know to be dinosaur bones. Mm. And their concept, what they what the Romans think of China, is that there are these giant silkworms that create silk, and the Chinese people ride them around like, like a giant mountain, like giant monsters. I mean, the the silk must and, flow. Yeah, and so the, when they cross the mountains on the other side, they find these dinosaur bones, and Titus and the philosophers are all like, "Oh, these must be the silk monsters. These are the silk monster bones." And the common soldiers are like, I think these are actually lizards. Like, if you take a look at the bones, I think these are actually the bones of giant lizards. And they're like, what should we call them? And they, they come up with the term dinosaurs. It's in Latin. Yeah. A terrible lizard. Yep. And so, so they start calling them the dinosaurs. And Titus is really mad because that's the term that catches on. They find eventually the Pacific Ocean, and Titus wants to call it the Oceanus Papianinus, which is his last name. And they're like, no, it's a very peaceful ocean. We should call it the Oceanus Pacificus. <laughs> and so it's, everything's in Latin. Yeah. It's actually really awesome. Yeah. Once again, damn. And so they then they also find this text um, that they, they figure out a little bit of how to interpret. And the one of the only things they can interpret is is the the letters what would be c-h-i-n so the the sound shin yeah and so titus is like oh it's the, the it's china yeah and the common soldiers are like i think this is actually the chinook tribe and that's what it is it's not china because they're not in china and so it's just all these examples of like the common soldiers who are actually taking in yeah. what they see and are right about Man, things. I am a sucker for a main character who is wrong. Yep. And he's wrong a whole lot. He's wrong almost all of the time. Um, sorry if this is taking a really long I time. Am into I'm this. into it and it's so fun. Um, so then they're they're Aquila and Titus are talking about the influence that the Romans have had on the Terranovans. And um, Aquila says, yes, even among us, Lakota, a man who gives away all his belongings is accounted as a great man. And so a pauper may be the most respected member of the tribe. A strange philosophy indeed, I snorted, which we Romans have endeavored to rectify wherever possible, teaching you the value of gold and silver, compound interest and corporate land ownership, I added importantly. So like just this kind of idea that like, all right, so all these things that you're talking about aren't really that great. They're just kind of complicated and shitty. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know what? Seize the means of production. Let's do it. Yeah. So in part three, they cross the Rocky Mountains. They find a a, a nation of Terranovans who, who Titus refers to as simple-minded peasants. Um, and they get into a, a bargaining war with these these simple-minded peasants, these barbarians. And eventually, in this bargaining war, they're convinced into helping these 
simple-minded barbarians into defeating their monster, which is Bigfoot. Okay, this is where this book starts to lose me, because this is fantastic, and then there's Bigfoot and apparently a time criminal. Yes, and this is where it started to lose me, too, because it's this combination of, like, really, really good satire, and then there's some bonkers-ass shit in here. Yeah. So this is where we meet Bigfoot. There is, in fact, a tribe of Big Feet. They all speak <laughs> Hebrew. They're Jewish. Oh, oh, so the Mormons were right. Jesus took a sharp left, went yep, to America. For sure. Um, one thing at this point that one of the Big Feet says to Titus that, again, really good satire, he says, you should stop bending the facts to your theories and accept truths as they come. Which is like kind of the whole point of the whole book. Yeah, I like it a lot. Yeah. Um, and then. Message. So basically, what happens there, they make friends with the Big Feet. Oh, good. Um, and they use the Big Feet to intimidate this Pinius tribe of Magnum. barbarians. They take one of the Big Feet back to Rome with them to prove that, hey, we didn't find China, but we did carve out some new Roman provinces for you. And this is where things get a little interesting, too. So. They're headed back, they're sailing back to Rome, and they're talking about how they're going to bring this information to Kaiser. Like, we did not find China like you told us to do. And I'm a little afraid that you're going to kill us for it, but how do we spin this story to make it seem like we succeeded? Um, And let's see. We would have ample time to prepare a whale of a story for August Caesar in our wild goose chase after a legend, a dream, we had come up with some very real Roman provinces. Well, almost. By the time Trajan heard about things in Rome, I'd have long since dispatched troops to mop up my operation. So this idea that, like, well, things didn't really go the way that we're planning to sell them to Caesar, but I guess we'll go ahead and sell him this big story so he doesn't kill us. And like, isn't that kind of a good way to describe history? Like, we're just going to just, like... The people who 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 conquered are just going to talk about things in a way that's going to make them look good. I suppose. Yeah. Um, Trajan, by the way, is the one who goes to Britain and builds the wall. So Trajan's an actual guy. Yeah, it was uh, Augustus Caesar was the first one, and then Trajan was the second. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then we get to part four, Aquila, the final conflict. Uh, oh, that's a good title for a movie, even if it doesn't mean anything. Aquila, colon, the final conflict. Pretty good mystery science theater movie, to be <laughs> honest. Um, Kaiser is not happy about the provinces, and he wants to find China. And so he sends them back. They have Go to find east. China again. And so That's where your trade just, routes come from. He just keeps going. Um, and this is where they find... The time criminal. Uh, this is where shit kind of gets off the rails. Time criminal. So they find the time criminal. I was excited for this before, but then I liked this book, and now I'm not excited about the time criminal at all. Essentially, what happens here is that they find the time criminal, and the like the time criminal is messing with time, and theirs is essentially a rogue universe a that was never supposed to be. Rome was never supposed to conquer everything. This was a mistake. I will point out, question, mm-hmm. how is Rome conquering everything? Just because they set foot on it doesn't mean that Rome has conquered it. There are nations in the way. Yeah. Rome believes that it's conquered everything oh. because it is sent up, set up like governors. And so they're like Titus is the governor of the Lakota nation. They're still existing like they used to exist, but 
He's just sort of there hanging out. So, like, Rome could have always believed it's conquered everything, but the fact that it didn't actually doesn't mean that it, like, doesn't mean any different. I'm, I'm confused. It's like Rome always thought it was the ruler of the world. Yeah. Its idea of the world was just much smaller. Well, now it knows about more of the world and it thinks that it has conquered it. It just hasn't really. Right. Anyway... So, like, there's this time criminal who's basically messing with everything for spectacle, and he's trying to, <laughs> to set worlds against time each criminal. other for no reason. There are the 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 good time, I can't remember what they're actually time called. Bobbies. The time police, essentially. The time um, police. They live the in my The dimensional patrol who are trying to find and capture the time criminal. They wind do, up taking care of everything. It do, all works out. Do we get a name for the time criminal? Is he, like, from modern America? No, he's just like, the time criminal. He's just, like... In all capital. Like, in capital. In all, no, uh, not all caps, but capital. The time, time criminal. criminal. Um, but do we, we get any hints to where they actually come from? If they can travel through time, do we get, like, they're aliens? They're aliens. Oh. Yeah. They're, they're was, like, they're aliens. That was the worst answer I could have thought of. So, That's what... going to be my wrestling persona. The time criminal. The time criminal. Be pretty the good. Future. Um, one pretty interesting thing, though, is that when the the dimensional patrol apprehend the time criminal, everything goes back to normal. But we do have a conversation between the dimensional patrol and Titus when they tell Titus like how the world was supposed to have gone. Like your world wasn't supposed to exist. But now None it of this is. wasn't supposed to happen. Your world has gone so radically askew that it might be considered a rogue universe. You wouldn't want your old universe back anyway. It was very boring. The Roman Empire fell, you know. You're pulling my leg, I take it, Titus says. All right. Heaven's so, known. So I, I, I'm sorry for interrupting your quote. The Roman Empire does not fall after Augustus for 400 more years. Eventually. But, like, as of right now, it hasn't fallen. And if the Roman Empire... But the... the the dimensional patrol, like, they I know I, everything. I understand yeah. that they know that. But the main lesson of the Roman Empire is that they expanded too far mm-hmm. and could not rule it. And so now that there's a new world involved, they definitely can't rule that. Yeah. So they're going to collapse even faster, assumably. What's more, Terra Nova was never discovered by the Romans, but by a fleet of Indians under the Maharaja of Jain after the invention of sailing ships by a scientific genius named Ashoka... Using principles developed by Aristotle after Alexander the Great made him a satrap of Western India. So I love that we're living in the wrong one. We're living in the wrong one, too. (laughs) A vast Indian empire of Sanskrit-speaking Lakodai arose in Terranovo, known by the Indians as Greater Bharata. It was they who conquered Rome shortly after the reign of the emperor Titus. Happy The less said about him, the better. <laughs> oh my I I one hundred and a thousand percent love that we live in the wrong universe. We live in the wrong universe. Oh my god. Isn't that great? That's good. That's what are so you talking good. about, says Titus? When Titus Papianus, having bribed his way into imperial favor, next usurped the throne from Trajan, who's the current Caesar, yeah. and was subsequently ousted by one Shunko Winkte, Maharaja of the Lakota, which at that point, that's a character that we've been introduced to. It is Akila's youngest son. <laughs> um, and so 
he starts to figure out like, oh, in the in the real universe that was supposed to have happened, I became Kaiser, but then I was ousted by this kid that is really annoying that I don't like. And so that was kind of funny too. That is absolutely amazing. It's great. It's great now. I like it a lot. All right. I'm, um, I've turned around on 95% of this book. I think you should read it. I think you would get a kick out of it. Yeah. I Well, now I know the ending. So thanks, I think, Susan. I think you'll still get a kick out of it. There's a lot in here. Um, the the ending is that Akila is invited to become part of the Dimensional Patrol. So he huh. becomes essentially a Time Lord. A Time Bobby. Yeah. And so there are. that's where the rest of the books come in. Oh. Which is like what makes sense. Because one thing that I was wondering throughout the rest of the... Or throughout this whole book was like Akila is an old, old man. And at one point, he's getting ready to die, and then Titus convinces him to come on one final adventure. So I'm like, well, how are there more books if Akila is Just one that more old? job before retirement. Exactly. Um, but Akila essentially, like, dies, but is turned into a Time Lord. And so now he's part of the, the Dimensional Patrol, and that's what happens. So, like, apparently the rest of the books are at different time periods throughout history. Uh, and Akila. Uh is helping to either get things on the right track or... I don't want to read about the good guys. I want to read about the guys who fucked shit up. And I think that's what it is. Language. Yeah, Nick. Language. But yeah, that's the Achilliad. It's part really, truly excellent satire and part bonkers-ass Bigfoot. Oh, by the way, the Bigfoot that they bring back with them becomes a Jewish philosopher. Mm. He's like one of the great minds of Rome weird yeah but it was crazy that does sound crazy and i'm kind of like sad I wonder but what... also really happy because it was awesome yeah and now i kind of don't want to give you the next alternate history book that i want to give you because i kind of want to read but it. it will also probably be bonkers yeah. and bonkers well, is what okay. we aim okay. for okay i'm gonna get it so i'm just gonna like that band it. from I'm... the early 90s or the early 2000s bonkers is what we aim for. yeah so anyway, that is the Aqualad. I didn't see Achilliad. I didn't see a lot of of, of seafaring men in that book, but I'll it's just not Aqualad. How did they get to the New World? Boats? Yeah, but they kind of glossed over that because it wasn't very interesting. Well, there's also like cars. Also, we do find out that the like we, when we encounter the time criminal, he talks about how like it made him really happy to just like drop motor cars in the ancient Rome and then watch them react to it. Like, he that basically does fun. it all for entertainment. Like so that was kind of funny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that is Bibliophile. Uh, that is all we're going to do. We've had some pretty bonkers books. One bad, one good. Whatever are we going to do? Read more? Read more! Oh, that sounds like a good idea. Can I tell you about the one that I got you for next week? Yes. It's coming in the mail because I had to buy it on Amazon. Shit. It is called Sea Treasure, and it is about mermaids. How much sex is going to be in this book? Probably a lot. Either way, it's going to smell a lot like fish. Your eyebrows raised up about six and a half inches when I mentioned the name of that book. Six and a half inches? How much sex is going to be in this book? Gross. One more inch to go, ladies. (laughs) Yes. Anyway, this has been Bibliovile. You can find Mick on Twitter at 
Dikima. That's D-I-C-K-I-M-A-A. And you can find Susan on Twitter at Susan J. That is S with three U's, S-A-N-J. The theme song, the intro music to our podcast is Babe of the Night by the band Elixir off of their album Rampant. And the outro music is something that I for some reason made on GarageBand. Do you guys listen to that? I don't even know. I kind of want to put it Run the Jewels back in there. Oh, thank you. I like Run the Jewels. I don't. Anyway, have a good night. I love you, Matt.